Hi. Hey. How you doing? We got Good. we got multiple ways to connect. Yeah, I know. I I and there's there's like lots of different uh apps that do this. So yeah, yeah that's yes. fine. Yeah. So this is Fan Bucket Ghost, and we're talking to Jess Davis for the third time. Yes. Hello. Yes. <laughs> Hi again. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> since last time we talked, you were working on a lot of film projects. You were working on some Netflix stuff. And yeah. You could get into, um, like, where you are and all those projects. And- um. Yeah. I mean, I've been I've been doing a lot with um, film and TV as of late. Um, I did. I want to say that I, there there was one theater project that I might have had in there, but I, I'm I'm kind of blanking on it. Maybe it'll come to me. But um, yeah, I've been I've been just kind of grinding it out with TV and and film. That's awesome. So you've been real busy. That's always good. Yeah, yeah, real busy, super super busy. <laughs> I know um, you had said you were working on this Netflix project, and the last time you talked, you couldn't say what it was. Mm-hmm. So you were able to say what it is now. Yes, I'm able to say what it is now because we finished filming. Um, so some of, the, I, if anybody is listening from, you know, from any of people that follow me, some of you might already know that I filmed for The Punisher. Awesome. I watched that. For, That's for a great Mar- show. For Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so my role on The Punisher, uh, it was small, um, but it was poignant because in, in my, in my estimation, uh, just because it was with the, um, it was with, it's with the main villain of the of the show. Awesome. Yeah, um, and whom we, I don't know if we can say his name. Yeah, don't don't give it away. I don't want to give it away. That's good enough that you told uh, me. No spoilers. Which, I won't spoil which show. Yeah, so that's must yeah, be the but second if you, season. If you know, if you're familiar <laughs> with the Punisher comics outside of the Marvel TV show or the Marvel if, Netflix show, yeah, I would know. Um, you you kind of, you you'll know who I'm talking about. Yeah. He's, he's like the big bad of of the Punisher. Yeah, um, the main uh, villain. Main villain. Yeah. So that's yeah that that we filmed that back in uh, June, and um, that was really cool. That was a really cool set to be on. Everybody's super awesome. So was um, that in New York, or did you have to? Yeah, those that was here in New York. Um, the most of the Marvel Netflix shows film out here in New York. So like Jessica Jones, Iron Fist. You know, Daredevil and yeah. Luke Cage. Even though we, they have since canceled, I believe Iron Fist and Luke Cage. Yeah, that was disappointing. Um, I like both of those. That's too bad, but I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the reason is what I've been hearing is that they want to focus more on the Defenders as a whole. Oh, okay. So they they're gonna do. I I believe they're gonna do another season of the Defenders. Um, but they're just, they'd rather do that than have like three or four different seasons of these different characters. They just want to keep it all in one place. Um, so I think I'm not sure if they're going to keep going with Daredevil or if they're going to keep going with Jessica Jones or keep going with the Punisher. Um, but those are the three that people really like. So I started with Daredevil. That was amazing. The guy plays the Kingpin is unbelievable. Oh yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, he's awesome. I'm really glad that he's working. The most prominent role that I remember him in, outside of of Law and Order, is when he did. He, I think he was he he was in the cell with 
with Jennifer Lopez. Oh yeah, I didn't even recognize him. Can I a Law and Order criminal intent? It was like he was like unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, he was a good. But I think that I think that Law and Order series was a little bit too abstract for people. Yeah, I, I like his style. It's so <laughs> weird. It was just different. He was odd, you know. He just, yeah, that's that's why it was very odd. It was very. It, it had more of like an HBO vibe. Yeah, I feel, it was, and yeah. It, it didn't have that mainstream like you know, detective Stabler Benson. Do I have this test? You know, like this like psychodrama thing going on. You know, it was because of his character was so mm-hmm. deep. You know, and, and I like the way he he takes on roles. It's like really, yeah, you know, yeah. It, he's very expressive, and I like I like his style and the kind of yeah. side, sideways talking to the criminals in the, in the box and <laughs> yeah they're just his trademark this old trademark things he would do that just yeah no he is very he's very um he's very much a method actor and very much a character actor yeah you so kind of get that. that's what i that's why i really appreciate watching his performances because they're always very nuanced and unique uh when you watch him work so so it's like you were working on some independent film projects too right Yes, I was working on an independent film project. Um, d- quick question: Can I, can I travel outside of the app? Like, can I? I don't want to hang up because I wanted to look at the questions that someone asked me about the film. Yeah, you should be able to do it. You just don't close it. If you can. Uh, okay, I did it. I was afraid. I was, no, I was afraid if I like got out of it, then it would like. No, no, no. Okay. It'll, it'll work. You just got to get back to it. Just okay. Don't, okay. Just don't cool. hit that red X. Not no, hitting the red. It's like a phone. Okay, we got this, Jess. I'm kind of stupid when it comes to shit like this, but it's okay. We'll, That's all right. I'll get through it. Um, now the the feature the, the it's a feature film that's an independent film. Um, we shot that uh, a little bit ago, um, just before fall really hit, um, and it's a it's a it's a thriller. Um, and the director that I work with, Jay Palmieri, uh, he is very much into the thriller, horror, psychological dramas. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of his films reflect that. And so the film that we worked on, which is called Play, um, featuring my co-star, Michael Taviera, uh, I probably fucked up your name, last name, Mike. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> That's okay. Because <laughs> I know he's Mike. You listening? Um, but uh, that film was about. Um, it was a, it was more of a psychological thriller because a lot of Jay's films are very. Uh, they have a um, a fantastical element, like either there's a witch or some kind of like demon or some oh. something something very supernatural uh, mysticism su- supernatural mystic mystic um oh. element but it was it didn't have this film is purely just set in modern time um with just people who are just a little a little fucked up a little fucked <laughs> up and um so th- that was the the film is is pretty much about this this guy who um he's going through a lot of emotional uh hurdles with the loss of a loved one and he seeks help to to cope 
Um, and so through his coping, because he's a very different and strange individual, there's a lot of, uh, there's just a lot of strange things that happen uh, while he's trying to cope with the death of this loved one. Um, I don't want to spoil anything and give no, too that much away. Really but awesome. that, so yeah, it's a very, could... it's a very, there's, there's a lot of like sadomasochistic elements in the film. Oh. Um, because his character is very just tormented and, and just very kind of, uh, has, has a, has a, has a a predilection for deviance. Oh, so Um, they're like, uh, dominatrix things or just sadomasochist? Uh, I would say that there might be a little bit of, I mean, say, I want to say that there's, there's a little bit of the dominatrix element in there, the, the, the dom, the sub dom quality in there. Um, but the tables turn. It's not just one person being the dom all the time. Oh, not an alpha. We're not one alpha. Right. So the, the 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 plot of the story helps the the characters switch roles. Oh, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. So yeah, it's a very well written piece of work, and um, yeah. I love I love working with Jay. And so uh, is that going to have wide distribution? Right now, we're working on. Uh, our distribution rule it's it's still in the editing process and so um, we need to get it fully edited and then we're gonna take it from there and see if maybe we can have it distributed either some of the discussions we've had have been maybe um, releasing it with Amazon because they have a few oh yeah they have a new new channel yeah so there's there's different channels that um, are available on these different streaming platforms that are making it so much so much more accessible for for filmmakers to for their work to get seen yeah so we might exhaust that um, but you know we really just want the film to get seen so working on you know, having it seen in New York because I think a lot of us worked and work, a lot of us who have worked on the film, excuse me, uh, we have connections here because we've worked so much in the film industry here. So we could probably get it screened somewhere. Um, but as always, I, I let people know when that's happening. So, so you bring it to like one of those festivals, like a Sundance. Or yeah, yeah. I mean, Sundance would be great. Con would be great because I love Can or Con. Yeah. Yeah, um, that'd be awesome. Yeah, but it, it's pretty much just working um, to get it, like you said, into festivals and and screened at different uh, different um, different theaters, different independent theaters. That oh yeah, indie, yeah, you guys probably have a lot more indie theaters in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we've got um, unfortunately the Sunshine Theater shut down, which was like a, a sister theater to the Angelica, which is a very well known independent mm-hmm. theater house. Um, but we have the Angelica out here. We also have the film anthology archives um, on the Lower East Side, which which Jay has uh, screened a few of his films. Um, so we've got a good relationship with them. So it it won't be hard to find someone to play the film because it's also very well shot. We had a very talented DP, um, David Quaitman, work with us, and uh, it just it looks really good. So, oh, cool. so um, director of photography, right? Yeah, uh, our director of photography, cinematographer. Sorry, I speak no. in no, <laughs> I, speaking yeah, in yeah. terms that not everybody knows offhand. 
Well, uh, you know, musicians, we sometimes we start to find out about stuff like that because we end up working on videos mm-hmm. and things. So, so well, we, yeah, yeah. Like we start to videos. figure things out. We start to un- start to understand, understand some of your acronyms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just it's just when you're working in film, it's like I think what I've and it's nowhere near as intense and and high stakes, but it's like you're it's like you're on a black ops mission. <laughs> you know and the you know you're you're military and everything needs to be like short concise so you can get in get out and get the well, job so for all those ps4 xbox people who, who played black ops they're like oh wow yeah yeah i mean <laughs> it's just like you got the walkie talkies you got like everybody's name you know everybody's title everybody's like doing double duty or whatever it's just film sets are just very very much about camaraderie um, and I've worked on many a set and I, I can really speak from experience about how if you're not if you do not have a good team, then it it, it makes it harder because film is hard no matter what. No matter if you have a good team or not, there's always going to be something that kind of goes fucked. Um, yeah. So if you have a good team, the likelihood of you, you know, being able to at least scramble together and fix that fucked up thing is a lot higher than if you don't have a good team. So that's why I kind of relate it to like a military task force. Yeah, you can say like, <laughs> a, like a, a band, it has some of that because you got to have your roadies, you got to have your sound engineer. Yeah. You got to have the band themselves. And if you're not a tight unit or you start fighting amongst yourselves, it's like, that's the whole thing. That's the yeah, music. That's, that, that just throws everybody <laughs> off course. Everybody just gets, yeah. So... Um, so I, I can relate to, in that way. I can try to yeah. relate. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. So you've been doing a lot of cool work. Yeah, yeah. I've been doing a lot of stuff. Um, I still have a lot going on with um, with my my designs that's been going on. Um, yeah, I've seen a lot of Instagram postings of uh, like like different um, like uh, like runway you know looking like uh, photos of of your art. Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, I did a, I did a recently, I, I did a couple uh, presentations, if you will, of my, of my brand. Um, and uh, we, one of the presentations was with a, uh, a European um, television show. Uh, it's like a, of a late night um, TV host, a Georgian late night TV host. Um, so that's going to be airing in Europe, I believe, sometime next month. Uh, I haven't got the official date of it, but um, some of the footage has been released, which I'm, I'm just, I'm so busy right now. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on getting that footage on my Instagram so people can see it, and then if they have the capability to watch European television, I can forward you to where that's going to be happening. But. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that that was a cool little thing that happened, and from there we got a lot of great photos. We had a great photographer on set that day. So um, do you travel to Europe a lot? Do you ever get to, to get? You to go know, there? I have only been to Europe once, and that was seven years ago. Um, <laughs> it was not it had nothing to do with my fashion or my acting. It was just me kind of backpacking by myself. Um, so that I haven't been back since. Um, but I would love to, I do, I do coordinate with a lot of different like European artists and, you know, fashion bloggers and everything. So I, I try to stay connected so that when I do go visit, um, I can like go see these people and, you know, we can like coordinate, um, yeah. Cause the European scene for a lot of like indie musicians uh, mm-hmm. is like a better scene in some ways. 
than the American. Yeah, state. that's kind of how I feel too. Um, I'm I really I appreciate the European market because it's just it, it it's just for me it's a more open. Like people are not so set in their yeah. ways with yeah they're not shit. so stuck on lanes and genres yeah when it comes to music yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah they're kind of like whatever sounds good you know yeah whatever feels like, good whatever yeah. looks good so whereas like it, americans yeah. are very yeah kind of, lame they like to stay they're in the lame. They're, yes they're very stuffy <laughs> you, know, you know because if you think about it like american top 40 radio has been playing the same songs for the last 30 years oh yeah they play the same shit all the time and, just... and the thing is like you go to the bbc and they'll have punk and ska and hip-hop and jazz and electronica mm-hmm. they mix it up and so they yeah. they're willing to have new bands you know a yeah. lot of new bands <clears throat> break on the bbc mm-hmm. and then come back here like hendrix you know because hendrix had to go to london yeah. to get big that shows you like what's wrong with the American market. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, That's, it's so it's so bad. And the thing is with with American musicians, um, I think that they're kind of stifled as well. Like they're they're kind of stunted in their artistic growth and integrity because asked by their label to produce all of this like kind of poppy bullshit that they yeah. probably don't want to. Well, there's a problem for their label in the music industry. There's like these key producers. Right? Not mm-hmm. that I like to put them down, but I'm like my own producer. And mm-hmm. they like to replicate what's in the top 50 over yeah. and over again. Over and over, yeah. And exactly. then when there's something that doesn't fit that model, they're like, oh, we can't use it. And that's where all the innovation happens. And that's where YouTube and Facebook and SoundCloud and all these other places, eventually artists come from SoundCloud and they get picked up, but they have to go through hoops, you know, to finally get, get a big audience and then the you know, recognize they were saying, oh, okay, that's new. And then they'll run that to death. They'll, they'll mm-hmm. take what's new and then replicate it so much that they, they take all of the energy out of the music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, and it's just, a, it's like you've boiled it down to its most fundamental and you don't really have anything interesting anymore, you know, to listen yeah. to. Yeah. yeah. That's always totally like, oh, I appreciate that. like indie film and TV because it's the same kind of aesthetic that musicians have in the indie world because we're trying to do something that we're passionate about we're trying to do something we're trying to make a statement i think i feel the you're probably doing the same thing right i mean yeah i mean i it's very very similar nowadays with film and music or tv and music uh because you have like all of these shows on netflix or hulu or amazon and it was really funny i i lately I've been doing a lot of modeling and I had a meeting with this agency and they're kind they're 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 somewhat well known of an agency and the guy who sat you know me and another model down and was like yeah well they're now now tv shows they really just want models and it doesn't really matter it doesn't really matter if you're that good of an actor as long as you're able to like regurgitate lines um it they could give a fuck about if you're like Johnny Depp or Meryl Streep. They really just want someone who's hot and who's fuckable. Wow. Um, and or perceivably fuckable quote. Yeah. Uh, but and so that was for me being an actor, um, but who also models. That was just like, well, fuck. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, good thing that I, I guess that I have the model quality to kind of help me get the roles that they're kind of trying to give to models yeah it must be disappointing that they're not (coughs) your skill set they're looking at like just like the the window dressing you know 
Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. It's just, that's where social media comes into play because that, you know, um, I've been, I've been kind of tailoring my social media in a way that it reads, you know, a little bit more on the aesthetic tip. Yeah. Um, because of that, uh, I want to get booked. I want to work. Um, once I kind of jump off, I think, um, it'll, I'll kind of go, I'll go back to, you know, posting random crazy dark funny shit mm-hmm. but right right now it's just like for work well you're trying to get like, yeah you gotta get work you know <laughs> you gotta get work and so i've always i've been going back and forth in my mind about like oh god should i post this like weird dark thing that i like <laughs> that you really like but you know like, that i really like but yeah. then it's just like is this for work then you know and and also because it's for work i spend a lot of time on my social media because that's where the work is um so you find yourself maybe self-censoring certain things because you don't want to get yeah, locked it, out it, or something you know, but that's it's so it's such it feels like such an empty existence to just post like a rand like a not random but just like a modeling shot mm-hmm. after modeling shot after selfie after selfie yeah. it just it feels like i get exhausted with my fucking face i like i just don't <laughs> want to you know but but that's why i try to make my social media or at least my Instagram look interesting enough to where it's not just yeah. You've got a really good of... style. I mean, I like the way even, you know, even when you're doing like you're when you're doing your modeling shots, it's not how other people do it. But yeah, know. I mean, I try not to to die, get too wrapped up in like the other what other models are doing or what other actors are doing or what other like social media, yeah. um, prominent social media people are doing. Um, because the reason they got to where they are is because they carved out a niche market for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of, that's been the, 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 the kind of uh, momentum that I've been writing is just trying to keep me and my integrity as an artist, actor, model, designer. Yeah. But also keep in mind that it is it is business at the at the end of the day we have to find a way to in your art to let you i mean that's that's what Mm -hmm. i've been playing with this concept in my music i have this kind of that comes from one of my songs it's like you gotta you know try to do something but at the end of the day whatever you're doing you really have to let you be you and and once you realize but some people don't even know who they are Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that can be be a struggle to get to that point where you're not mimicking you know like in in, like in music there's a lot Mm of mimicry and there's a lot of stuff that people are just trying to make hits and yeah and and so at the end of the day like when you really find yourself is when you decide you're gonna let your art be what you want it to be Right. Yeah. You Somebody have to else. just keep up. Oh, That's there. okay. <laughs> and I live in New York, people. There's yeah. always a fucking ambulance. I hope everybody's okay, though, but there's always there. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, I think artistic integrity is very hard to, to keep when you're trying to appeal to a mainstream audience uh, yeah. because there's there's just very, again, there's, there's the openness isn't as broad. Um, I think when it comes to mainstream in America, anyway, um, the, the has to be very cookie cutter, oftentimes very conservative. Um, so it's a challenge, which is, it, you know, it's good to have challenges in your work, 
Um, but you want to make sure that those challenges are actually going to be something that benefits you in the long run. Like if you, if you find a way to, to, to kind of meet the challenge of being, you know, having your artistic integrity intact, but also being mainstream, um, yeah. th- that you, you, but making sure that that's beneficial to you, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a hard balance. And once in a while you see like a band like REM, you know, REM. Yeah came from the indie college world and they pretty mm-hmm. much stayed true to their original intent to write their own music but mm-hmm. when they got on warners they they started to make poppier versions of what they did but they still were within their own style and so they yeah. they were able to be true to who they were yeah and people kind of came to them they they got the audience to kind of like oh they they got them to like their their style of writing and that's yeah. always like the goal of any band, you know, is to like be able to take what you did like at the college radio level and get people to actually get into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean you have to you you have to know your audience, really. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's you know, like with REM if they, they, they being in the college scene, they knew they knew what that age group wanted to hear, at least in in that uh in that community yeah you know so it's really about your demographic and understanding analytics as it pertains to your field um but yeah that's it's a it's a very difficult and even though like you are you want to be an artist and you don't want to think about the business side which i think a lot of artists just like hate that part Yeah, I, I'm starting to appreciate managers. it more. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to appreciate it more just because it le- it doesn't leave you so much room to be taken advantage of if you are the person in charge of your business. You know, if you're leaving someone else in charge, then your artistic integrity is in jeopardy because that person might not have the same vision for you on a business, uh, uh, you know, level. Um, and so then like you lose yourself if, if someone else is kind of taking the reins. Um, yeah, that's always the balance. You... Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah. I find like, like a lot of bands have gone indie, uh, and mm-hmm. gone away from the labels, gone away from the managers so that they would be what you're saying. They're directing themselves. And, yeah. and it used to be that you, you had to depend on your, your tour manager and your, your, your business managers, <laughs> you know, our A and R guys. To, to actually plan out what you're going to do. And then they would always tend to this burn out the artist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so like, it's good to see that like, so in, in film, you're, you're like your own manager, most likely like to the, you probably have agents, right. But you have your own manager. Yeah. I have an agent. Yeah. So you don't have like a business manager running your stuff. Um, I have business consultants I'll say that I don't have a formal businessman like I have I have a lot of family members who are in uh who are um in financial marketing oh cool and they yeah and they do a lot of you know business uh consulting and I just get advice from them and I kind of I use yeah so I have some I have some of that and then I also do my own research and it's kind of fun for me mm-hmm. to like figure it out because I like I didn't go to I didn't go to business school I don't have a degree in any kind of marketing or um, any kind of like small entrepreneurship so 
I'm learning this all just on my own um, and through the experience, indirectly through experience of others. And then, you know, me, myself experiencing it with my mm-hmm. career in design and, and film. So it's just, it's a lot of like my own, my own work. Um, yeah, but, I think you, yeah. I think you find yeah. a lot of people who are very successful. They didn't actually have that background. <laughs> yeah and I think I I respect that a lot because that's a lot of your own work that you're doing yeah you know that's a lot of um having to kind of teach yourself you're not in class learning from someone else you you kind of have to take the reins and and like read and research and educate yourself and I think there's a there's that's a very admirable quality I, I believe yeah so yeah I think everybody's got um, like know how to how to promote self-promotion to, yeah so self-promotion not... is like <laughs> it's a huge thing and it's such a big thing <laughs> and and especially for for people who are similar to me who are very private about mm-hmm. their life like I, I was talking to she's a, a branding social media agent for like one of these for a well-known bank mm-hmm. and she's a connection that my my aunt um got me uh, so I, I had like a, a, a conference with her mm-hmm. and a lot of the advice she was giving me was um, on a very conservative level, mm-hmm. you know, like don't post this kind of thing or like look at the tags that you're using and, you know, stuff like that. So, I mean, I being in a completely different field. I mean, she's, she's doing social media marketing for a bank. So they're yeah, obviously bank, yeah, banks and insurance companies don't like to take risks. <laughs> yeah. In, in certain aspects. Yeah. So I, I was just like that a lot of the information that she was giving me, although it, it was, it, yeah. it was valid, but it wasn't so much valid for my, not for an artist. I think the not people, for, my, for yeah. an artist or a market. Yeah. I think sometimes people like that, they, they don't realize like artists are more willing to take risks. right like I can you know like yeah you can you can be a little bit more free and open with the content that you have because that's your field yeah you're not selling a win and and, you know (laughs) I I understood where she was coming from but like but being the person that is at the forefront of your business you have to take everything with a grain of salt and know what to use and what to listen to and what not yeah no one but you're um, yeah I mean it's it's a different type of thing if you're selling a commercial product you not don't want to offend people because you want those people to be your customer so then you have to like do things that don't offend people and there's that keeps you in a box it yeah keeps you in a box but if you're an artist yeah so it's just... you, know, you can be like bowie you can be like prince you can be like the sex pistols and you can say hey i'm gonna do my art and if it if mm-hmm. i knock out one audience well i gain a different audience and so like it's not it's not yeah. gonna appeal to everybody. Yeah, one one yeah. door one door closes another. Yeah, just because you don't get people <laughs> in Wisconsin that like you doesn't mean you don't have people in LA that love you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You just have to be. I think a lot of it is as an artist, just understanding that you're liked by everybody. Like yeah, some you people don't have are to be liked by everybody. To, yeah, to get your hits, you know, you don't have to yeah. go and make everything like you know you, vanilla just just to get yeah get sales exactly. and yeah and there's some bands that don't want to be yeah you don't want to be yeah top 10 i mean sometimes yeah. you're willing to say if i hit the top 50 that's i that's a, that's a win you know if i hit the mm-hmm. top 200 that's a win 
I don't have to be, mm-hmm. you know, because you know your market, you know your niche, you know what you can survive at. Um, it's good if you can get there, but you don't want to get rid of your artistic integrity or, or what you're trying to say um, just to, yeah. to get to a certain place. I mean, some people are willing to go there just because they want that, and, and that's mm-hmm. their goal, you know, but there's other people yeah. that want to make a statement and they, yeah they just want to make pure art or like just you know authentic art that speaks to their experience or whatever message they're trying to convey yeah because so. anytime you say something yeah. there's gonna be somebody who doesn't like it and so yeah no they're <laughs> true, totally true totally true yes. um so you can't you be scared I... to say it <laughs> can i answer one of these questions that yeah, people yeah. i put a yeah. thing out on instagram yeah yeah to start, see if people start would actually participate out. yeah if you got a bunch more bunch yeah. of questions, bring them out so uh, one of my friends, Elizabeth, um, she wanted to know, uh, she said, can you talk about why you chose gluten-free? Um, I have mood problems and I heard it helps. Uh, I don't know how much having a gluten-free diet will help change your mood. Yeah. Um, but I do know that that is, it's, it's very much a possibility that it could it could help because I think what you put in your body does affect your your chemical balance. Yeah. Well, if you feel um, better, so, if it makes your body mm-hmm. feel better, then your mood might be better because you're not feeling bad. <laughs> right. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of the time when you're eating heavy foods, you feel very, you just feel very kind of. Um, you get lethargic. You get lethargic. You get tired. Yeah. You get lethargic. You just feel very kind of slow and you know just just not as just not as pumped and, yeah. and energized. I believe, so I believe I that. Like, I believe if you eat certain foods, yeah, so if, it will definitely mm-hmm. make your mood better. If you, because it's better. Yeah. If you have a lot of, yeah, if you have a lot of carbs or like a lot of bread or a lot of sugar, it's going to weigh you down and it's going to make you feel more sluggish. And it's kind of like at Thanksgiving, you, people get the itis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. I get, you know, good meal will cause the itis. <laughs> what, I, what I like to do is, I mean, I, the reason I've chosen to go gluten free is because I have, uh, I've got chronic yeast um, issues. Mm-hmm. And that's due to, I have to take, I take antibiotics mm-hmm. every, every, almost every day. Oh yeah. And yeah, because I, for those of you who don't know, I have cystic fibrosis, which is a lung disease. And um, in order to combat lung infections, I have to take antibiotics uh, pretty much for the rest of my life. So what the antibiotics do is it does kill the bad bacteria, but it also the kills good, the good bacteria. And that is right. And that's why the yeast infections, God, this is probably like TMI. Everybody knows I have a fucking yeast infection. But <laughs> <laughs> um, but that is why I choose gluten free because it, it, it just helps to, yeah. it helps to moderate that. Yeah, you know, it idea. helps to keep that in check. And then also my body does have trouble um, digesting anything that's high fat, which is why I have to take certain medications to help digest fat. So mm-hmm. if I can mediate my calorie, my caloric intake or my uh, my rather my gluten intake um, by not having such a high gluten diet, I'm gonna do that so that's that's why i do the yeah thing i do with the gluten i think that's a good i think you know well, i'm a diabetic so i have to watch carbs i have to watch sugar i have to yeah, watch fats because yeah. i got the same kind of problem with heart disease so so a lot mm-hmm. you know diabetics have to be careful what they eat and uh, there is a big difference 
you know, when you lower your carbo and your sugar levels, you do get more, you feel more um, active. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And what I try to do also is I just drink a lot of water. Um, I, I think water and, and tea really flushes the system and it helps to just keep you clear. So that's why I like to, to just drink tons and tons of water. Yeah, water is a good thing. Soda, soda yeah. not so much. You always know, no, no, no. stop the soda. The, 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 my, my soda is, is kombucha. <laughs> it's, just, it's just as carbonated. But it, it's, well, that's it's, a better, it's, it's better accessible. for you. It's better for you. It's carbonated. It's flavorful. If you like, if you like the flavor of kombucha, yeah. it's very similar. Uh, but it, it actually, it's a probiotic too. It works as a probiotic. So it's actually cleaning you out and yeah. um, kind of giving you balancing, balancing you. So yeah, I had a, homeopath, um, I have a homeopathic doctor told me about that. So. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, good. That's awesome. Not everybody, nobody, everybody does that. Um, but to, I guess to segue, someone asked me, how do you keep in shape? Um, how do you, how do you keep in shape? What do you, do you do anything in particular? I, um, well, I'm a big, uh, I was a big cyclist. So as I get older now, I'm like 51. So disclosure, as you get older, you start to get like <laughs> arthritis. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I got it. <laughs> So now, um, I have an indoor cycling machine. I have a door to track and I'm in New Hampshire, so we get a lot of snow. So when I can't go mm-hmm. on the road, I have an indoor, like a Peloton type of thing. And then I've got my um nordatrack and uh mm-hmm. like a stepper what's a nordatrack nordatrack is like an indoor cross-country skiing machine so it what basically I... has like little skis wooden skis uh-huh. and you go on and you just like it's like it's like the, it's the same motion that you do i mean it actually has these wooden skis on right on the machine and you so it's the same. It's the same concept of an elliptical, but it's like a ski. Yeah, it's a ski. Elliptical. It's a ski elliptical. Ski yeah. So it's the same exercise treadmill. you do okay. doing cross country. And if you do it for like forty-five okay. minutes, it's actually a good workout. When you said when you said Nordatrack, <laughs> I automatically referenced um, Eminem had that that recently had that song come out where he's dissing MGK Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah. Um, which is like, you, you, you know, the feud that happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So he, he says he, he has a line that says Nordic track. And I was like, what the fuck is a Nordic track? Oh. And then you just said that. Oh, so you didn't know what it was. <laughs> no, I was, and I just didn't have, I was just like, I don't care enough to look this up. <laughs> so I'm glad that you told me. <laughs> yeah. I, was like, I don't know how relevant that is to my life. And I, you know. If Eminem's using it, how much how much use am I gonna get of it? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, but well, you learn okay, so you, every like day. To, you do, you do, and I I love to learn because I uh, I I could stand to take in more knowledge. Um, but I mean, I I run every day, cool. um, and I try to I'm I'm really working on running twice a day, so about. Um, right now it's because I'm just getting really back into hardcore workout regimen. I'm only doing about an hour of running in the morning and then like maybe an hour of running in the evening if I can. Um, and then I do yoga about twice a week. 
So you do an indoor yeah, run sure. facility or like indoor facility? No, you know, I used to I used to be a trainer. I used to work at a gym. Mm-hmm. So uh, in summary, I hate the fucking gym. Um, <laughs> so if I can if I can work out, you know, in my own little space outside of the gym or if I can work out outside, I'd much rather do that. It's harder to do on the East Coast when it's wintertime because it's frigid. Yeah. Um, but you actually go out I, run a park or something? Yeah. I mean, I have like a little like um, like a little park around it has a track it's got it's got not a track so much as it is a uh, it's a baseball diamond oh, cool. so with a little right track around, around it oh, so, you can run so i can just yeah so i can run or i and i used to run track in school so it's like very familiar for my body to just run in circles <laughs> like a hamster um so i just i run and then i have my stretching regimen that i do before i run and after i run just so that my i'm keeping myself limber and i'm not getting too tight um, so that I don't pull anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also, um, I try to just do really getting back into doing my, um, my martial arts. So I try to implement, um, some, some of my martial art and when I work out. Oh, cool. Yeah. You do yeah. Tai Chi at all as part of your workout? My grandmother does Tai Chi, and she is 87 years old. She turned 87 last month on the 31st. She was born at Halloween. Wow. Um, but she does Tai Chi, and, and uh, I, I, when I lived closer to her, because they live back in Oregon, um, I, I would do Tai Chi with her. So, yeah, it's very relaxing, very meditative, and um, it's, 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 good, um, it's a good muscle conditioning, I think uh just just to that's not too strenuous it's 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 very relaxing yeah maybe maybe muscle conditioning is not the right term to use yeah it's it's helpful yeah because like just uh (laughs) i used to live in japan for a couple years for my oh wow my day job but um i'm you know i'm a tech guy but um when Mm -hmm. i lived there you walk outside of my like apartment and i lived in tokyo actually and uh you could walk into these parks and see all these older people, Japanese folks, mm-hmm. doing Tai Chi in a morning. And it would mm-hmm. just be awesome to, like, you walk into this very high-tech city and then they'd have these, like, these, like, Shinto temples where everybody's doing oh, yeah. Tai Chi. And the temples oh, are, like, awesome. interspersed through the whole city. And so you'd have these oh, like, awesome old trees and, you know, Buddhist, like, or Shinto, Japanese Shinto statues and different things. And then they'd all be doing Tai Chi. And you'd just make, it would make me feel, it made me feel good. <laughs> even, yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> I, I wish that they had that here. I mean, I, I feel like the, the yoga, we have yoga to the people, which is like, you can, it's a very, it's based on contribution. And so you can go and do yoga for essentially free or a very low amount. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wish that they had more things like that, that they do in Japan, where you can just go and kind of meditate and, and exercise um yeah because i think that really helps people's moods yeah definitely and yeah like you know um there's a lot i think to be said for for a society that helps each other on a physical level uh and i don't i don't think that we do that so much no, everybody's... Here in, america, in, in america everybody's pretty much 
tense and angry and depressed. Yeah, drinking too much coffee, eating too many donuts. Too much coffee, too much sugar. <laughs> getting mad. Like, I don't drink coffee. I don't drink coffee. I drink tea yeah. because I just it, it it just it just feels a lot healthier for my body, and I don't I don't feel like I'm gonna kill someone. Yeah. Where you get the rat um, race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I'm like just be cool, just chill. It doesn't it doesn't really help. It doesn't help at all. So do you have any um, more questions that you got? Yeah. Okay. So one of the questions I got was um let's go here. Oh, uh what is your favorite role you've played to date? Well, that's a good one. So my favorite role as of now, it's hard to pick a favorite because they're all so different. So it's like I, I, I try not to play in my life as, as just a mantra for myself. I try not to favorite anything uh, because I feel like that. I don't know. I, I just it kind of for me, it, it doesn't uh, it invalidates other other uh, um, just unique qualities of another thing. You know, it's I, I hate the whole better than less than scale, and I think that's what favoritism does. Mm, yeah, um, definitely. But I would say one of the roles I very much enjoyed playing <clears throat> was the film that I mentioned earlier with the director Jay Palmieri, um, called Play, where my my character is um, she's she's someone that you would consider having just very severe emotional uh, problems. Um, and she, because of those emotional problems, she's manipulated into, uh, being this character for, uh, her, for her, for her boss, pretty much. And she goes in and she, she can play different characters, but not know who she really is Mm -hmm. at the core. And so I really enjoyed that because it allowed me to play like at least four different people in one movie. Awesome. (laughs) Um, so it's really nice to do that because then then I can like my brain can just like switch and jump and and assess this new challenge of okay well she's she's now this character and what does that look like as opposed to the character that she was playing a few minutes ago um, what's the dynamic here with her and this person now that she's playing a different character um, character dynamics are always so fun for me and then I have to remember like I'm a, a human and and I I can't like. I can't, I can't be in a scene with people in life because not everybody does my job. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just like when I'm getting, when I have my actor brain on, I have to be like, okay, your actor brain is on, turn it off because you're just at the grocery store. Calm down. Yeah. Um, so it's hard so it's to just... get out of that character sometimes, like when you're working on a project and you do try to do like your yeah. grocery I store, mean... you got to turn <laughs> off the actor. <laughs> right. Yeah. For me, it's, it's, I don't want to say that it's just like I'm I'm this crazy actor that just lives in the character but it, that's that's kind of how it is for me sometimes. Um that's actually another question I got was do you keep personality traits of your characters with you when you are finished? Um and I I certain sometimes I do. A lot of the characters that I play I tend to have some semblance of them already as a person um i just i just bring them out even more as the character um and i make it a lot more you know a lot louder a lot bigger 
um, maybe a lot more obnoxious because it's it's a film, it's a it's a movie, and characterization is often supposed to be big so people can understand it and read it. Um, mm-hmm. So some of these character traits, the, I have them, but they're not as prominent um, because you know, for film, you have to be a character. Um, Sometimes I do walk away with a little bit of the character with me and then I have to shred it. I have to just, I have to shed it rather, shed that character Mm. trait because it doesn't serve me as an actor. And I've been in situations where there have been, there have been people that uh, can kind of see that that's happening. And sometimes there's the, there, there's the, um, it's not it's not a good situation to be in when you take on certain character traits and then someone else who can see that you're doing that takes advantage of oh. of you. Yeah, that's not good. Um, and they like if you know like I I was playing a vulnerable character um, for one of my directors and she completely kind of uh, saw me as that character and I was just like, well, I'm glad that you the the. I'm glad that the performance is reading for you, but you have to understand that I'm not the character. Yeah, that's not me. And I think <laughs> when you, right, when it's not you. And, you know, I don't know how much of that was, was just her refusing to see me because she really enjoyed me playing the character or if, the, if that's who she actually thought I was. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the danger that you can get into as an actor is if you really thrust yourself into a character and then it's, it's really felt um by people around you or your audience or people that you work with it you know the caution of it being confusing for them to who you are as a person so that's whenever i talk about like what my method is i try to stay out of being a hardcore method actor because then people will just see you as that and then when you take the character off they only know how to respond and react and 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 interact with you as the character that you've been and then you have to kind of reset everyone and be like no no this is this is me now i'm just i'm no longer you know Trixie or whatever but i think a lot of musicians ran into that trap you know it's famous musicians you know like 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 keith moon from the hoop he he got trapped into this kind of clown thing they just kept on feeding into and they just like took him out Because he was just mm-hmm. like he couldn't be himself. He was like yeah. always on stage. He's always taking you know Roy's voice and driving into a swimming pool, destroying a a, a a a a hotel room just because people felt they he felt like the fans wanted him to be that. Mm-hmm. And and it, yeah. there's a lot of rock stars that fell into that more mm-hmm. in the seventies. But it, it's easy to fall into stuff when you're a musician. Can you get you get kind of high from the crowd, and it's yeah. hard to get when you get off that stage you you feel kind of invincible you, you can be reckless you can because you just have all this energy and just feeding off and if you don't know how to dissipate it or or turn it off then you can go the wrong way <laughs> yeah i mean i i think that that's very much something that people feel now on uh more because of social media and you're expected to look a certain way and act a certain way so you know being on stage is like your is like your social media page yeah you know and it's like yeah youtubers can fall into that yeah exactly so if you're on youtube and you have a certain persona that you're that you're doing every week or however long 
um, people just see that. And so they associate that with how you are in all aspects of life. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, I think you're allowed to have different personas that interact with different audiences. Mm. I think that's totally allowed. I don't, I don't think that that's people being crazy or whatever. It's just like, I talk a different way to my mom than I would talk to like a, a good friend. And it's the same yeah. way with someone who's a YouTuber, a musician or an actor. It's like, I act for my audience. And then I have a different persona for me as a human being going to get coffee or going to a restaurant or going on a date. Um, and I think that people, because they're so entertained by these personas they they can't really allow for for the person to be a full human being because then it would shatter whatever preconceived notion they have of this character mm -hmm. um and then they would be like oh i don't want to follow them anymore because they did something that was out of out of character with what i associate them with so it, it's it's very hard and and you you know for for me for me and my experience with this is you know a lot of people have painted me as this like oh she's really she's really open and she's really badass and she's like really you know sexy and you know very very much open with her body and so I get a lot of people that are very forward with me in terms of like oh they picked they, up they, they think that's you yeah. yeah I mean they think that I'm I don't know what it is that they're thinking, but I understand where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. um, I, the, and it's not so much like, oh, fuck that person. They, they think this way. It's more like me needing to understand I don't need to play the character that they think I should be playing. Mm -hmm. um, just because I act this way or because I posted this mm -hmm. thing. Uh, and I think that's that's probably what what um, he was going with through with it. Um, the character he's playing with the who yeah. um, is that he felt the need to appease the audience yeah. because of the preconceived notion they had of him yeah. and this character. Yeah. And I think that's, that's where I think you have to take control as an artist and just be like, no, yes, I do like to wear this kind of clothing, but it does not mean I am this thing. And I think people do that in general too. It's like, a woman walking down the street just because she's got really revealing clothes on obviously yeah, you yeah. have to treat her a certain way or differently which i really fucking hate um yeah and and that that's just not allowing an individual to be an individual you're trying to control someone at well, that there's point no consent. projecting yeah, there's no consent with under your fashion you know it is like if you choose to have a certain style of fashion it doesn't mean that you're consenting to whatever it what that whatever person perceives that exactly. represents and you're, you're an artist you know what the people forget is like people use you know fashion as art and there are people who are like kind of artists in that way in the way they dress and like, if that's their personality doesn't mean they're giving consent to anybody to like right yeah and I, I think a lot of people just they don't automatically go there yeah you know, in their minds, they don't really have that association. They just automatically are like, well, this is how you interact with someone who looks like this. Yeah, yeah. And that's not right. You need to let, you need to allow people to be themselves before you uh, judge and assume how they're going to be. Yeah, I think the, the problem is a lot of social mores have kind of trained individuals in our society <clears throat> to perceive things <throat> that are very base level <laughs> mm -hmm. and, yeah. and the sophistication to, to think in a better way is mm -hmm. not usually there in everybody 
No, it's not. Um, it's not. And so the risk, you know, it, when you're an artist or a person that expresses yourself in a non-traditional way, you get people that perceive things. Because I, I play characters in my music. I play female characters. I play male characters. I use my mm-hmm. technology to do that. And I get people who assume certain things when I play my character, Josephine Electric. They make all these assumptions about me and they don't know me, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I get people who think like, well, I must be like Josephine. You know, that must be who I am. It's like, no, that's that's a character I created. <laughs> right, yeah. And I, and I get to play this character for the duration of the song yeah. or however many songs that I'm doing. It doesn't mean I live as this character. Yeah. And some people yeah. just don't get that, you know. They, they, yeah, yeah. They they don't see that the um that there's a, a dissension. Yeah. Um. After after you're done with the character with the song or you know our album or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I think right. yeah, when musicians go and do that and they go and create personas in their music, you know, Lou Reed did the Transformer album, you know, you know, Bowie. I always go back to Bowie. You know, he's doing Latin Saints, doing. You know, Ziggy, you created these characters, you know, Thin White Duke. Mm-hmm. But they were all like, you know, he was very, very theatrical. And so that didn't, you didn't really know, like, which one of those is really Bowie, you don't know, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's okay because, yeah. you know, it's okay to have a private self that you have for yourself and the people that are closest to you. I don't think that yeah. there has to be a point where you, you need to reveal all. Yeah, you don't um, have to. I mean, that's unless you want to. Yeah, it's up. It's totally up to your discretion as an artist how much you want people in your in your community and your audience to know about you. Um. So I I I, I and again because I'm I'm a particularly private person when it comes to certain things. Um, I've had to kind of find the balance with that and find the the boundary with it. Um and understand that I don't need, just because someone wants this information from me doesn't mean I need to give it. Yeah. I think yeah, um, having, having those boundaries, like, you know, especially with social media today, because people can be really mm-hmm. obnoxious on social media, you know? Yeah. Like your f- fans can get really um, entitled. They mm-hmm. start to feel really entitled and they start to think they know you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, musicians run into this a lot where we get people who are, you know, I'll play actors do too, but they get the people like stalkers, like, you know, they, they show up at the shows and they like, they think they know you and they think mm-hmm. they're like, like, you know, it's nice that you're a family, like you don't really know. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's, and that's, it's such a terrible, like social media has really fucked that up too, because you get, you're actually, whereas like on stage, there's a, there's a physical distance yeah. there. Whereas social media, you have to create that boundary and that distance. It's not just created for you because you're on a stage. Yeah, you don't have a, you know? like a bouncer, roadie. Right. Yeah. Theater, you, like, people have people have more access to you on social media. Yeah. And you have to really hardcore set that boundary. And I'm I'm finding that I have to do that so often with people. It's just like I appreciate you. Mm-hmm coming and supporting me but no I don't want to fuck you <laughs> no I don't want to go on a date with you no I'm not interested in dominating you you know yeah. like the, there are, there's just a lot of there's a lot of having to set the boundary um, with people that you interact with on social media who you don't know 
Um, and it, it depends on how they approach you too, because I'm sure there are people that are on social media or that are musicians who, who get to perform on stage, who interact with their fans. Yeah. I mean, there's some guy, I mean, that, that's been a big thing in music, you know, the groupie syndrome and the whole mm-hmm. idea, like some guys get, you know, people get into music so they can do that, you know. That, oh yeah, whole, well because there's, the there's <laughs> yeah, well there's some kind of insecurity in them yeah. that says I can only have this thing yeah. if I am a musician, yeah. if I am famous, if I am this, yeah. and so their whole their whole validation as a human being solely rests in their art, which is so dangerous. That's yeah, very dangerous, and that's that's and that's not healthy at all because then it's it's just like, well, what happens if you don't have your art? Yeah, you know, I mean, if you don't yeah. have if you if if you're if you're a musician and you don't have your hands. Well, if the problem is like your, your whole if you play that game like what Moon was doing is like you play that game your mm-hmm. whole life. All your connections are because you create you create this madman. There's like this mm-hmm. madman character is clown, and that's how you get all your interaction. That's how you get all your attention, and you, mm-hmm. you never turn it off because you, if you turn it off, nobody wants to talk to you. Because you're really a shy person that's not that interesting if you don't do that. You know, maybe not interesting to people at the level you are when you're playing the crazy man. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe you could have a more personal relationship and be more honest if you would just go back to who you were when you were like 17. But, you know, they, there's a point where some of these people, they just like, they keep on feeding off of that. And it's it usually ends bad. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a terrible place to be because you're not actually... You you're not you you're letting other people determine your worth. Yeah, well, it's usually because you're insecure. I mean, a lot of musicians yeah. I've met are unbelievable, mm-hmm. but when you get past all the all the stagecraft and all the stuff they put up, they're very shy. They're very introverted. Oh, yeah. well, they're, <laughs> they're shy, and but the reason that people don't understand that is because the persona that they have is not shy. Yeah, it's like the total opposite. I mean. It's total opposite. Yeah, I I believe me, I know. <laughs> I've had my I've had very direct experience <laughs> with some musicians yeah. who I will not name. Yeah. I, I don't like to put them, I like to put everybody <laughs> but, down. You know, I got the same traits, you know, I'm being I understand. <laughs> and the thing is I don't judge them for that. Yeah. It's just it kind of breaks my heart that there are artists out there who um they only feel validated through their art and they don't understand how to be valid just as a as a person and look at the good qualities they have as a human being um and that 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 just kind of yeah you know it's usually that's kind of sad when you get past when you get into a lot of a lot of the artists you know that you get into Mm -hmm. like you you figure you find out their story after you you see what they do on stage Mm -hmm. and it's Usually, you know, it'll bring you to tears because a lot of times it's like, it's not, they're not having a good life. They're not having a good time, you know. No, no. And there's like, there's all these assumptions about them and they get attacked because of their persona, you know. And so I I really, you know, I, I, that's why for me, I have to sit back and understand where, where my validation as a person comes from Mm -hmm. and as an artist comes from. You know, and I, it, it's it's difficult, but you just have to know that your self worth as a person does not rely on the validation of others because of your craft. 
Yeah. You know, you're going to be a good person regardless of whether you're the best at musician in your field or best actor in your field or best artist in your field. Um, and a lot of that comes from just that security mm-hmm. in yourself. And you, ha- you have to really maintain that and nurture that. Uh, and I don't think a lot of artists are, are taught really how to nurture themselves outside of their artist self. Yeah, it's like so. the machine to make your heart. Because <laughs> every artist gets into it because they love the art, they love the music, and then they get on the machine and it kind of mm-hmm. makes your heart. Like so, if you're an artist that hasn't broken through and you've not, I have the luxury. I'm an indie artist, you know, maybe a hundred thousand fans, mm-hmm. and but you know, I don't make massive amounts of money, so I don't have that overhead. Um, yeah. I can just do yeah. what I want, and it doesn't go to my head. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah but but you yeah. know if you break through then it can kind of get into your head <laughs> it can really get to you it can really get to you because you have all of this validation from people that you don't know yeah. um and that that's just again that just makes it so dangerous yeah you're like, and... you're, what you want sometimes you know as an artist is is not exactly it's kind of like that old blues thing you like you got the crossroads when they go one way or the other it's like old classic blues like you can you know sell your soul to the devil to get popular i mean it's a common blues theme mm-hmm. um, and, yeah and it really yeah. is is true <laughs> no it is very much true it's very much true it's like you're sacrificing a part of yourself yeah there's, um, there's a point where you, you make that decision and then it causes like you more harm than success but um so the mm-hmm. world might see that you got successful and you do become, you know, what you became, but there's a price for it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's definitely, there's always, there's always a price. But I think the, the one thing that I've maintained is I always thought that I'd have to sacrifice. Oh, I can't have, you know, certain things if I really want my career to do well. And that's bullshit. Um, yeah. you, you can have whatever the fuck you want to have. You just have to understand how to have all those things mm-hmm. um, and what avenues you need to take to get them. Sometimes there's going to be a time where you can't do this when you're doing that. But it doesn't mean that it'll never happen to where you can do both. You just haven't gotten to the point where you can have both. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that they're never going to exclusively exist together. Um, and so I've, I've had to monitor that for myself and understand, no, you can have a thriving relationship and be a great, successful artist in the fields that you've chosen. You can have a family. You can um, have a good social life with your friends. You don't need to just be this workaholic artist. Now, granted, my friends will tell you that I pretty much just work all the fucking time <laughs> and they have to like, drag me out of my work cave to do fun things. Mm-hmm. But I still, I, I still, I still work very hard to maintain some kind of balance in my life when it comes to working and the personas that I have to, you know, present to the world because of my careers, and then be be with my friends and my family, um, <clears throat> and and understand that it's okay to have all of these things uh, and have them coordinate with each other. You just have to, you know know that you can do that be secure in yourself that you can do that and then find the people that are going to be on your level to do that and understand um which is that's the hard part of life is finding those people yeah it's the balance and knowing you know really having the the people in your corner that the really critical Mm -hmm. thing because sometimes people don't have the judgment you know yeah to pick the right people in their corner 
yeah no it's it's true it's it's and but it's a learning experience like you're not gonna be right the first time around yeah you just gotta go so through it. you you have to go through the motions and sometimes take that risk and it not work out so you can understand who to accept and who to exclude from your circle and i've had i've definitely had to learn that and and you know it's been a great thing for me because sometimes they just naturally peel out of my life. Mm-hmm. And then, then after the fact, I realize, oh, that's good that they're no longer there. Um, but you sometimes have to really put that boundary and excommunicate someone on, of your own volition. You, they, they don't just leave because they're bad. You have to like push people out who are not serving you yeah. in the way that you know, not serving you because they're there to serve you, but just not not bringing anything positive or enlightening or constructively critical to your life, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of where I am uh, with that is like you just have to take a risk and then assess after and and figure that out. Yeah, I had, um, I had one thing that happened. I, you know, as musicians, you collaborate with people, you find people that sometimes you think are like your musical soulmate and you can get really attached and you get really connected and you think like you got to work with this person like forever because like you really click it. And, and then, then you realize that, that that's not actually the way you thought you thought that we were both kind of really into it, but sometimes like one person mm-hmm. more into it than the other person. <laughs> yeah. And then you it ends up being, you know, a situation where, you know, if somebody doesn't actually, um, you know, when you're musicians and you're really getting the vibe and you feel like, oh, this is a really good unit, this is a really good team, but then the other person really doesn't take it that way. And then you're like, the hardest thing in the world I ever had to do was like, I had to let something go that I really wanted, but I felt like mm-hmm. it wasn't going to be positive for me going forward in my musical career, even though I had mm-hmm. this kind of feeling that I really should hold on to it I had to kind of let it go because I felt it really wasn't going to oh, yeah. move me forward I, I, I had this conversation the other day and I've been having it kind of reoccurringly um, for the past like couple weeks months now um, is I've been saying no to a lot of things lately um, and then the, the beginning of my career as an actor and as a model I was saying yes to everything because you're inexperienced and you want to get experience and you, you want to, um, you, you want to grow. Mm-hmm. Now I'm at a point in my career where I don't need to say yes to every fucking thing. Um, and I've learned that and I, it's not, and I used to think, Oh, if I don't say yes, that's me being arrogant and thinking I'm better than, and no, it's not. It's, it's understanding where you want to go and where, what that path kind of looks like for you. Um, you're not going to know what path that is, but you do have to be active, proactive in figuring out what that path is going to look like. And the, the, the art of saying yes is knowing when to say no. Yeah, definitely. Um, Because you need to know when to say yes to the right thing. And that is, that's the thing that's, that's the best way to say yes. That's the best that's the best time to say yes is when it's the right yes. Not just saying yes to everything and hoping that the right yes comes along. No, you have to navigate. You've got to be strategic with your yeses and your noes so you can get to the one thing that's going to really be 
you know, prominent for you for your career. Um, so like recently I've had to say no to a film. <clears throat> I had to say no to a theater project. I had to say no to a design opportunity because these were things that were not, they were not matching the level that I am right now. Mm-hmm. And in order for you, you know, and like I said, for a long time, I thought that that was an arrogance of mine. And again, it's not, you have to, if you want to be on a certain level, you can't keep doing the level below. (laughs) You have to, you have to raise yourself. So you have to know, Hey, this isn't really worth me anymore. It was. And when it was it, it, I, I learned from it and it helped me, but it's no longer that way. And so I've, I've since learned that, um, that's where I have, that's, that those are the kinds of decisions I've had to make now. And it's been a lot, it's been a lot of no's, even though I'm working a lot, um, pretty much on personal projects, it's, it's nice to say no to things that are work, but aren't work that I need, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a good feeling when you're, you feel like you're, you know, secure enough to not, feel like you you're losing oh yeah yeah and I and I was t- I was talking to my mom about this and I was like you know my ego really doesn't need that <laughs> mm-hmm. my I don't need I don't need to do a play that or, or a, a role that I know that I would kick ass in um if I know that the role is not going to really get me like I'm forward yeah yeah like I, I I you know I I love being on stage I love people responding to the characters I play but um I, I, my, I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather move my career along than stroke my ego in the short term. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I get that. You, you don't, nobody really, I, I don't think that it really serves you as an artist to, to do short term things and then forget about the long term aspirations that you have. Um, and you have, like I said, you have to really identify what those things are. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. sometimes musicians you get opportunities where people will say they want you to do like a copy of a boy of a Drake song, or they want mm-hmm. you to do a clone of this, or they want you to collab on on a song. You listen to a song, you, they give it to you, and you're like, okay, but it's not really, it's not really clicking with me. And there's some mm-hmm. guys who just want they just want to get everything out. You know, if they get an opportunity to put it out in the music, and you're just gonna you're just gonna work on it. They do the work. But if you really, uh-huh. yeah, but if you listen to it and you're like, that really isn't moving my music forward the way I like what I'm trying to do. Uh-huh. And so it's the same right, yeah. idea. You're like, I'm not going to, just because I got like 10 offers to work on like EDM tracks, but I've yeah. only like one of them. I should only do the one I like. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't do all 10. <laughs> you, you, I mean, the, but that's the thing is you have to understand where your energy is going to be useful most useful for you yeah um uh and that that's that's always the challenge of every every artist or every person in general whatever job you have you have to understand where you where you want to put your creative energy or your your work ethic where that's going to shine the brightest you know yeah um it's a a learning curve i think when you're younger it's harder you to make those decisions as you get older you start to you know just to you know you live and you learn you learn from your mistakes you learn you know if you're if you're honest with yourself you admit 
when you made a mistake and you admit like how are you going to do better you know mm-hmm. how you progress when you admit that you actually you know messed up <laughs> yeah and, and it's like there's something um, better you can do it's like yeah you know in my it job we have these things we have lessons learned and and we look at a program we built and we look at all the bugs and we say why do we have these bugs because we did this wrong you know mm-hmm. and we really are self-critical on yeah. what we did wrong and that's how we progress you know in in technology is because you have to be honest about what didn't yeah. work and you can kind of apply that to life, <laughs> you know. In, in yeah. Way, if you you have to be really honest about like, okay, that totally didn't work, and like, why, and then really start analyzing. Yeah. No, I think everything is a is a is an analytical process. I think when it comes to when it when it comes to art, I think even more so. Um, I I think well maybe now because you have to be like your own promoter so you have to figure out what works um mm-hmm. but i think it's all i think you really do need to pay attention to just the process <laughs> and then what that what what kind of result that process is gonna actually uh reap you know yeah definitely so, yeah okay That's- you have any more um questions or are we getting near to yeah i've got i've got two more um when did you know you wanted to act um i knew i wanted to act much later in in life than people normally people normally say like oh i wanted to know i wanted to act when i was like four or five you know i had no concept of what the fuck acting was when I was that age. <laughs> when you're a child, you don't know what acting is. You just know that you're having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no like, oh my God, mom, I see on TV. That's what I want to do. It's more like, oh, Bambi. I love Bambi. I want to be like Bambi. <laughs> um, and that, that was actually, that's a true to life story. When I was like three years old, I, I would get on all fours and uh, I would crawl around the house saying mother um, in the scene where Bambi Bambi's mom gets shot by oh, the hunter. Oh, yeah. That's, that scene really hit, That that's a heavy, that hit for me. And so when I was a kid, that's the scene that I would just reenact constantly. And it drove my mother fucking crazy. <laughs> and she was just like, I don't know what to do with you. I'm right here. Stop it. And she couldn't shake me out of it. And so she likes to say that that's when I, that's when she knew I wanted, I knew. Because she I saw it, she it. saw that. Right. I, but I could get, like, when I was a kid, I didn't really want to do theater. I didn't want to be on stage. I didn't want to be in film. I actually wanted to go to school for law. Oh, um, lawyer. <laughs> yeah. And then I was just like, that's a boring existence. And lawyers are yeah. kind of terrible <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, so definitely. that's probably not something I want to do. But um, that, but it goes back to like when I when I get into a character, I trap myself. You know, like I I I have to, I couldn't even shake myself out of the Bambi thing. I was three, but I still, you know, um, but I didn't really know until I was, um, I think I was in high school, and I actually I think my mom was like, do do a theater course, just do it, just you know, she was like, just 
try try to go and do this thing. So I went and did it and I got a really good feedback from my theater, uh, my theater instructor. And, and from there, I kind of just took off and I went and uh, started acting in, in my, my community college productions. And I took co- theater courses in community college. And then, you know, of my own accord, I went out and found auditions in f- film and, and independent theater um, and then I, I, I auditioned for um, Tish's NYU um, or NYU's Tish School of Drama, but I didn't get in. Um, and, but I just decided to keep going, uh, even though I had not, uh, I hadn't gotten in. So that's that's kind of where my my acting career started. Well, you had the drive, the idea. You know, some people <clears throat> they know, you know, what they want, you know, they they. They just feel it, and they and they. It's kind of like a. It's just like you know, yeah. like your path is chosen for you for some reason. Like it's like in you, you know. That yeah. You, that you're gonna be an actor. You're gonna be a musician. You're gonna be a scientist. You know, sometimes it's like the bug is like in you. I mean, it's something in you that just pulls you that way. You know. Yeah, um, and that's that's something that I, I. It took me a while to identify that that's what that was. Uh, because I wasn't sure if it was, you know, like, oh, I want to be a lawyer. Oh, I also, I also want to work for the CIA. That would be a cool <laughs> job. Oh, I also want to be a doctor. And then it kind of, and then it kind of helped me find out. Oh, you just want to portray these things. Oh. You want to portray being in the CIA, being a doctor, or being. Well, you know, now you get to be like everything. Now I get to. Now, yeah, I had all of these like different because I'm so interested in life and different pursuits of life and mm. um, expressions of life. So I had to really understand that no, you don't really want to be a surgeon and stuck in a hospital for twelve hours, but you'll do it for a movie. You yeah. know, like you'll 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 find like a really cool character that is a doctor that has all of these like different quirks or whatever, and you'll do that, and you'll you'll learn a lot about being a doctor, but you won't actually have to go through with being. Well, that's like, a, like a really cool th- way to look at it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very much a it's very much a uh, jack of all trades, master of none type job. Yeah, an actor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, that's kind of you know, because one of the big you know negatives about having to have those other careers is like you know the the the, the measurement tools and, the, and the having to go through the reviews and you know the fact that you could you know as an actor you could you can choose to do play that character you don't have the responsibility of actually having to do the job mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and that's another thing because it's just and that, i think that's why a lot of actors are very like i think a lot of actors are uh political and and they have these goodwill ambassador titles or they're ambassadors for the UN or whatever and I think it's because they feel like even though they're great at their craft they they want to give back and be they don't want to just portray something to in a superficial way yeah and and it's not and that have not have no meaning and I think that's why a lot of actors have like this dual uh the the dual interests of acting and other things that they do yeah they um, do a lot of charity work they do a lot of... yeah a lot of them are philanthropists and um and i i think a lot of it, it speaks to them wanting to have another craft that yeah. they find valid 
in helping people and, 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 uh, you know, that isn't just pretend. Yeah. Um, so they actually want to have something meaningful that actually affects people beyond your art. So your art will affect people and inspire people, but you know, the world measures stuff. You know, mm-hmm. If you work for UNICEF or you work for UN or you do some kind of program to help the homeless, you know, it, it's going to have a direct effect, you know, yeah, maybe not like the indirect effect that your art can have. Um, yeah. I, I think that's, it's all about the, the, how, how effective people are going to be in what way, you know, is this going to be something that's going to put food on the table if that's what they're struggling with? Yeah. You know, is it going to give clothe them? Is it going to put a roof over their head? Are they going to be somewhat out of the third world situation that they might be in? If 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 that is where that actor wants to put their efforts, you know, um, is this woman going to get health care? Things like of that nature. Yeah. Which is kind of kind of a segue into the next question that I got. Okay. Was, how political are you? <laughs> I've seen some of your (laughs) t-shirts. I know. And I'm always kind of like, I wonder because of the whole me revamping and rebranding myself uh, on my social media, I I have my design page where I post all of my fuck Trump stuff. Um, (laughs) You can tell I'm a very, I'm a very staunch supporter of our 45th president. He's a great man. That's why I have these fuck Trump shirts. Um, I got no problem with that. Yeah. For those of you who don't speak sarcasm, that's what that was. Um, (laughs) But no, I, I, I'm actually, I was much more political when I was younger, when I was back, when I say younger, I I mean, like when I was a teenager and I was very, very, um, I was very obnoxious about politics. Uh, I, I I, I was very, very much the person that could turn any any conversation political and of my point of view and like really pontificate toward people about it mm-hmm. um and now i just i've learned to listen i just sit back and listen mm-hmm. as much as i do have my views and i i mean i do have like again the fuck trump shirts i i know is a little bit obnoxious and forward but maybe not I don't, maybe not given what we're dealing with <laughs> given what we're dealing with no it's not like it's, it's probably not the most obnoxious that he's been yeah um i would say but <laughs> but i think it is i think it is a lot more obnoxious for some people some people don't wear their political views like that in such oh, a way yeah. they don't express folks, themselves that way yeah some folks are so conservative they just get amazed their mm-hmm. eyebrows go you know oh my god you know, yeah you, yeah you oh my god and they, and they and they also they give like him the benefit of the of the office right but, exactly you know, and my whole thing people... is if you, you don't deserve the office you don't get the benefit <laughs> yeah no that's true but the thing is a lot of people uh, i think they don't feel like they're intelligent enough to understand the role of the president so they feel like whoever's in there understands it better than they do and yes. so they're automatically making themselves inferior to someone that really has no business being in the office. Yeah, well, um, but the whole and, thing is like, you know, Nixon, Nixon, you know, ended up not deserving the office. And mm-hmm. so he didn't deserve the respect of the office when he was violating the Constitution. So, like, if you violate the tenets of the position, you, just because you're in the position doesn't mean you should get respect. 
I mean, yeah. And the founders, I mean, I'm a political science major. And the founders created, oh, okay. our, created our system, you know, not to get mm-hmm. crazy, but mm-hmm. the Federalist Papers and uh, yeah. all these things that were written, the Tocqueville, all these great thinkers basically mm-hmm. were very uh, scared of the royals in, in England <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and the monarchs and wanted to create a system where a president wouldn't be a monarch. Yeah. There were yeah. checks and balances to make sure and limitations to make sure they wouldn't do that. So now we have a oh, person yeah, that's, that's not doing that. <laughs> that's the same thing. I've been watching. Um, I mean, this this is this still ties in, but I've been watching the series on Netflix called Roman Empire. Oh yeah. And yeah. Um, I love I love ancient Rome and Greece and Egypt. I love ancient history. Yeah, they tell a um, lesson. It's a good lesson. <laughs> it's a good. I mean, they still study. They still study. Um, um, Alexander the Great's war tactics today in yeah. the military, like that—that that, that is how yeah, prominent. It's worth, yeah, it's worth it's, it's worth understanding. Oh, it's <laughs> worth understanding, and I, I think I, I I don't have um I'm not so, so much into modern history as I should be, mm-hmm. um, because I feel like there's a there's a lot that obviously you learn from history in general, but I I, I really go back in history and I that's where I like to spend my time so I read a lot of Plato and 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 Socrates and stuff like that and I kind of live like in ancient time and then I realize (laughs) well I I live in modern times and I probably should understand like more modern history but the Roman Empire was pretty much the same thing where they they had their checks and balances and uh that that's that was one of the things that they were trying to buffer against having an emperor. They didn't want a, uh, they didn't want one to rule all, and that's what the Senate was. Yeah. Um, but once you know th- there was the whole ch- change of power when Marcus Aurelius died, and then his son came into power and decided to make it an empire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that that speaks to a lot of how our civilization and society has has gone and where we have gotten our uh our societal makeup in terms of politics <laughs> yeah definitely the checks and balances yeah. are being eroded by a, a culture of um entitlement and resentment and and, and the problem is like all over the planet you actually have this leaning toward dictators and totalitarianism you know if you look mm-hmm. at china you look at you know south north korea you look at you know lots of places in africa there's a tendency toward imperialism and yeah and it's very dangerous you know you can see what happened in saudi arabia to a journalist i mean when you have people who have no boundaries and feel they should just do things because they know what's right in the people below them like peasants i mean there's this kind of peasant mm-hmm. mentality yeah that, and it's very dangerous and we've got <laughs> we got people in this country that seem to not understand how dangerous it is <laughs> no no they don't understand they don't understand um when it comes to uh the unfortunately the um the kind of white supremacy movement that's happening or, yeah. or just white very, white very, nationalism very dangerous. um that and that's a very scary thing you know um and you see the president's approval rating is still at somewhat 
Yeah. Was like forty one percent, I think, the last time I. Dude, that's that's frightening to me. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's and, and the thing is, the reason it's so frightening is because of who is following him. Yeah. You know, and they feel valid in their bigotry and in their way of thinking that isn't so much about unifying the country. Yeah. Um. But uh, but it's all it's a lot about it's a lot about um oppressing and and um right. having people yeah. assimilate to their way of thinking because they have a president that will forward this kind of thinking. Well, to me, it's kind of like after the Civil War, you had the backlash that created Jim Crow, you know, because once they freed the slaves, they had to get the slaves under control. So they started to criminalize blacks to get them back into slavery through the criminal justice system. And so mm-hmm. they would go and a free slave or walk in, on the street and they were like, well, you, you're, you're going to get arrested because you're a lawyer, you know, and then they put them into a prison and make them work for free. And mm-hmm. so the criminalization of black people started like after the end of the civil war. And then, you know, yeah. then you had the, you know, the height of the KKK and this, the whole idea of Jim Crow. And it was, it was, a, it was a, you know, a continuation of, of like an imperialist, you know, Confederate structure. And yeah, it, it, that kind of yeah. b- belief system is still, you know, deep in America. There's still a lot of people that believe that. And and mm-hmm. and to me, what happens when, when Barack Obama became president, it kind of was an affront to a lot of these people who had every other president wasn't like Obama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. and that was like such a, a, a core, like they felt it was an affront to that. And so we yeah. have this like politics of resentment that they have to go so far with 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 this guy Trump to to kind of clean up what they thought Obama did, and 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 mm-hmm. that really is like th- that kind of psychology to exist. I mean, you could see that in like 1952 or 1928, mm-hmm. but to see that in 2018, you know, is very disheartening. If you, yeah. if you believed what Kennedy and Martin Luther King. You know, all these people were doing. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you see, this is the result, twenty eighteen. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it, it's it's really kind of it's really deplorable. Yeah, to, it's just it's it, it. I mean, and I'm I've always been, even though I I I consider myself a a political participant in some way. Uh, I I always kind of question how much voting helps. Um, when you are voting into a system that is obviously and painfully corrupted, yeah, and it's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna vote, but if they can change my vote, if they can, they can alter my vote in any way, manipulate my vote in any way, how is that helping? Yeah, with the gerrymandering that they do. Um, yeah, so I, I get into, I get into, like yeah, I get into a lot of arguments <laughs> with my friends and they and and my family, and and they were just like, well, you have to vote because that's what, and it's just like, well, think about it. Would you build on a crumbling foundation of a house? No, <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Yeah, that is exactly what our political system is. It's 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 declining. Well, it's dysfunctional. Right now, we're <laughs> dysfunctional. In, we're in a situation where we basically have a tie. You know, so basically, we're going to have a totally dysfunctional Congress. It's not going to get hardly anything done, and then it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy for some folks to say, "Look, oh look, the Democrats failed, so let's replace them again." And, right. You know, and it's like you know that is not 
but people who don't think it's like, well, you know, you, you got to make clean the house. You know, if you if you want functional government, you have to make a decision. Yeah, you can't make like a split decision. You got to decide if you don't like what these guys are doing, you got to kick them all out. Yeah, you, gotta, you can't keep some of them and think you're going to get something done. And and Americans have consistently done this divided Congress and then not understood the results of what they've done. Uh, and and mm-hmm. that's that's a big problem um, until they really realize that you, if you're going to clean house, you got to make a decision one way or the other. Um, yeah, and you and you that can't be cleaning house on one side. It has to be every everybody. Yeah, it has to be the whole thing. And so if you don't do it right, then you're going to keep having the same result. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's that's and that, that's why I and I had this conversation the other day. Was like it's a good thing that Trump is in office actually. Um, because if Hillary had gotten elected, we would be complacent, you know, we would be stagnant in understanding how broken our system is, but Trump being in office exposes so clearly what the problem is. And we needed that exposure. We needed to see that our system is not serving. Yeah. Well, the whole, yeah, there's a whole Horatio Alger myth. There's this whole idea that you're going to be like Bill Gates or you're going to be like Donald Trump. And that's not true. You know, it hasn't been true. Oh, yeah. And 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 people are voting against their own interest. You know, oh, yeah. Well, because what's propagated in our society to, to get people to participate in capitalism in our economy is that you can be a part of the one percent that's oppressing you. Yeah. You know, you can you can be that person that has this however much thousand dollar car or big screen tv or house you could possibly be that person and that way you won't have to be the oppressed anymore you could be the oppressor that is how we navigate politics in america is is it's, it all comes down to well, in yeah, my belief pretty, money and power yes definitely <laughs> we see a lot of blue collar people have actually voted themselves out of a job you saw what happened to gm today they just mm-hmm. lost like 15,000 jobs. And it's not like under, you know, the previous administration, the auto industry was growing. But there's mm-hmm. certain things that were done by this administration you know, in terms of their, their tariff policy and all these other policies that now have adversely affected, you know, GM. Not that GM mm-hmm. was my favorite company, but the yeah. fact that they kind of voted themselves out of their own work for their own resentment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like you guys, yeah, you know, the M M A G A is like I guess that didn't work for you guys. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean a lot of it is is it plays on the arrogance of these these companies yeah. who have relied on the support of lobbyists for for decades. Um, and it, I don't know how I again, I. I've gotten a little bit aggro, a little bit, but I've gotten so aggravated with American politics that I, I'm not as well as informed because it just exhausts me to yeah. see what happens yeah. and goes on. So I don't know how much, you know, lobbying was kind of getting, you know, uh, dismissed in the last administration. I feel like that's what their intention was. I don't know how uh, successful they were with that intent. Well, more um, than this administration. Well, this more administration. so now. Yeah, I can I can imagine more so then than now. 
but, but I wonder how much of a dent was left in the previous administration in terms of how lobbying is conducted. Well, and, I don't think Obama was as heavy as a, like, you know, a lot of people say that, that, that the Clintons are like, you know, conservatives. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, yeah, they, yeah, they totally are. They yeah. totally are. Yeah. They're, they're, they're more moderate conservative. Yeah. Democrats. So I believe they had a lot of lobbying impact, a lot of PACs. And uh, I think Obama and Biden tried to reduce that as much as they could. But then mm-hmm. the Democratic Party, which is limited because it has certain factors in it, certain groups that provide money to the Democratic Party, they're not going to cut off. But, um, yeah, I think what we got now is Mari Largo and a bunch mm-hmm. of what I call robber barons mm-hmm. <laughs> making okay. decisions for the for the meek. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, that's and pretty it's, much what it's it is. pretty, it's pretty, it's like alarming the, the level is actually going on i mean it's going to get documented in the history books but like what's going on right now we probably haven't seen since like the 20s mm-hmm. you know the 1920s or the early robin we had robert barons you know, the guys who created the big steel industry the guys who created the oil standard oil the rockefellers there was a time in america where these robert barons were running things not that different mm-hmm. than they're running right now <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, again, you have to go back to history to understand what's happening now. Yeah, they're actually going back you know, like, to that, that time period when, mm-hmm. when when corporations had child labor, like in the Northeast. People don't realize, like Levi Strauss, not to come down on them, but they had mills in New Hampshire. They had child labor, right? Yeah, not just like China. China, you know, America had that. You know, there weren't any labor laws. You had fourteen-year-old kids, twelve-year-old kids working in mills. And mm-hmm. losing their arms and losing their hands and stuff. The, the yeah. whole history is not as pretty as people would like to make it out. No, that's um, not. Yeah, so this whole thing is going back to that. You know, you're going mm-hmm. back to try and you know prison labor. You know, making. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, things. prison labor is a is a big thing right now. I mean, the reason that a lot of people are being um, like like small small, I guess like misdemeanors or or felony charges. Yeah are going up because these prisons are privately owned privatization of the prison prison system is just work for them it's just labor yeah um and so these corporations are pretty much getting free labor and these cops are are pretty much working as uh as 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 authority on the whatever corporation owns the prison yeah, it's like to Chinese, get yeah it's like Chinese slave labor it's the same thing I mean, yeah. yeah you're you're just you're just busting people so that you can get somebody to to work for free and then they take prison. away your right to vote yeah you know which I think is totally, right. which totally wrong you know which, right exactly but they're do, but that's another kind of manipulation again of our of our political system yeah it's very um, dangerous I mean that, that kind of a behavior is what mm-hmm. we used to criticize China for that you know Mm-hmm. And now we're we're opting into the same concept. Like the worst yeah. kind of capitalism is this kind of imperialistic, you know, uh, you know, people who are just you know robber barons. That's what I call them. They're just running mm-hmm. things. They don't want regulation. They don't want to be responsible. They don't want to pay their communities. They just feel they should, you know, build a factory, pollute, you know, and then leave, and then not yeah. cl- not clean up the rest. <laughs> yeah no they they just they want to get in make the money as quick as they can and then leave you know and, and then, then leave. yeah they'll, they'll just go to mexico or go to central america or they'll go to africa or go wherever they want to go oh and, yeah i mean that's the same concept of well of why they think that they don't need to do anything about climate change 
um, because oh well we'll be dead so we'll let the other generations <laughs> yeah they'll fix that. it like, yeah and so it's just like that's really fucked you'll up, be living in a bubble under the ocean <laughs> right i mean if you can even do that i mean well, the, the Japanese are looking they're, at they're, that. They're not, they're, <laughs> they're not allocating a lot of money for, for certain research right now. Well, well yeah, we are. So, but, like, the Japanese are working on, like, a, a, like a dome city for a second Tokyo. Oh, that well, yeah. Be, they're, they're Fuck that. They're not going to let any of the Americans in. <laughs> We're no, they won't let us in. They're going to have that <laughs> for themselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. In our country, we're not allocating money to, like, these these advancements because they're like well we're not going to be around so why do we need to why do we yeah. why do we need to to figure that out fiscally at the moment no we'll just leave it let's just put all of our money in this oil and 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 fuck up yeah. the what do you think they're going to go to mars and live on mars or something well there's that <laughs> there there have been coming across the uh the recent news with mars lately um and i i I think it was that they were. Oh God, I can't remember what it is. I saw it today on um, Adam Savage's. Uh, it's a. Yeah, yeah a probe just landed. They got yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. A probe, a probe just landed. Um, yeah, but the goal was like you know, like even Tesla. I mean, the the you know, uh, CEO from Tesla. He's like his uh, space. Um, What's the name of that? Yeah, I, I know I forgot. But um, SpaceX, yeah, SpaceX is, is heavily working on like Mars, mm-hmm. like ships, and and the idea is that they're gonna build bases on the moon, and mm-hmm. then from the moon they're gonna launch from the moon because if you launch from the moon you don't have the gravity. Yeah. Okay. So if, if you launch from the moon and you have a full powered rocket coming from the moon, it can go to Mars way faster than if it launches from here. Because it has oh, to spend okay. so much energy getting out of Earth's atmosphere, but if you uh, build it on, build it on so, moon, so the moon, so pretty much they're just like we'll we'll send something to the moon, and from the moon it'll go to Mars. Yeah, you're gonna build bases on the moon to actually build the to the, build. the, the ships. Oh, uh, okay. And then the ships will launch from there. Oh, I see. I see. Now I wonder if that's a good idea. Cause well, the... I think it's a good idea because the speed involved it can reduce how long it takes to get there. Yeah, but I'm just wondering what because the moon actually has some kind of effect on our planet on a physical sense. I want to yeah. say correct, right? Yeah, so it does, yeah. if if you're building stuff on the moon, how does that affect how the moon affects the the earth? And yeah, I think they're assuming whatever they build isn't going to have an impact. Right. Yeah, but I wonder if they if they know they that. They never know Definitely. how much of an impact it does have. Because... Yeah, that's what I. That's my. That's my thinking. Is like, how much do they really know that that's not going to help, or not going to yeah. not going to affect? Well, it's the same people who felt like you know using using like you know oil powered vehicles wasn't going to affect the planet. <laughs> that's exactly that's what I'm saying. Is like you you only know so much in in the in the in the short term. You don't really know the long term effects of what could actually be happening. Yeah, if you take a big lifter like that and you launch from the moon, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. is that actually going to affect the moon's like uh, position? Yeah, because because it never had anything like that happen. Mm-hmm. You're assuming that it's small enough; it's not going to have an impact. Yeah. From their mathematics, they're probably assuming, "Oh, that's not going to have an impact." But like, it never got done, so how do you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. No. It's, you. 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 Then that's the risk that you take. 
Yeah, you're taking a risk that well, you shouldn't have theoretically it shouldn't have an impact because it's like it's not powerful enough, you know, but you don't know. Yeah, you have no idea. Nobody has any idea about knocking something off even just a tiny bit of a degree. Yeah. That's can the, have a big effect. That's the and thing so, is like I I feel like that's we're in that realm with science with with science and with with space in particular. I think it everything has to be done to to a very precise uh account. Like it has accounted for and, and and considered and explored and uh yeah well even the destruction of mars like by sending a, a, a earth vehicle to mars you could actually kill microbes by its very presence because even if it was built it was built here it's actually probably has things on it that are not foreign to mars and as soon as it touches mars you could kill millions of microbes you know you could kill life just by bringing something there yeah. Um, and so that has already been like, oh, discounted. We're just going to do it because we want to do it. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, oh, God, thinking about that is just really scary because you never know what could happen. Never yeah. Know. I mean, cause the thing is that you went, once you go somewhere and you start, you know, we're going to run into the same kind of problem we had when we like, you know, when people came to America and they, they pushed the indigenous Native Americans out, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Where you get to Mars and you find life forms, are you just going to like treat them like you treat the Native Americans or treat them like you treat the buffalo or the bison? You're just going to kill them, you know, and, mm-hmm. and just take over what you want. Mm-hmm. And I think there need to be treaties or something created to deal with like rights in space. Because, you know, what's the constitution on Mars? There's no constitution on Mars. You know, what's the rule of law on Mars? There's mm-hmm. no rule of law on Mars. Mm-hmm. So you start going places like that, people could impose very draconian things because there's no rules. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's somewhat, this is a new age, but we're running into a new age where people got to think about, like, what's the law going to be? Where are people's rights going to be in space? Yeah, no, it's true because it's just a different area. It's a different way of life. Yeah, yeah. that's that's, that's a, it's a heavy thing, but, you know, people, well, who cares about that? Well, you know... Your kids might end up dealing with that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You might even deal with that by the time you're like 89 years old. You might actually see that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, w- I would love to be around for that. I mean, but at the same time, I don't know how much faith I can invest in that happening considering where we are politically now and, and where our priorities are. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm always like, I'm a techie. I'm always hoping that, that, that the, the, the brighter angels will keep on pushing forward on certain things, but yeah, you know, you know, know what you got these kind of crazies running around. Um, you know, the planet we got crazies in China, crazy in the North Korea, crazy in the U.S., and it's like you guys all could go crazy and cause a big problem. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, it's you know, because everybody's still threatening like nuclear war. You know, he's supposed to be gone, and now we've got people who want to bring it back. You know, so. You know, they got rid of some treaties now that the arms race is starting again between the U.S. and Russia and China, which is not something we've wanted to happen. And so in the 21st century, we shouldn't be putting any money into that. And now they're putting money into that. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of like, OK, well, you got one step going to Mars and you got another step going back where you could have, a nuclear, yeah. you know, in Iran or or somewhere in like Taiwan, if somebody goes off and does the wrong thing. It doesn't make sense for us to be in that position, you know, as modern mm-hmm. 
people. But, you know, that's the fate that we deal with. If we got one step thinking about Mars and one step thinking about a third world war <laughs> for no <Yeah>. good reason. <laughs> Other than people it's make just, a lot of money from building missiles. Yeah, well, I mean, that's pretty much war is is there to make money, you yeah. know. And that's, again, going back to the Romans, they, a lot of times, they would start wars because of their economic system. I mean, because yeah. their economy was so bad. And, yeah, we might know, be in that same spot. <laughs> yeah, and that, and it's just like, oh, okay, I see. They, people, they start with money. You know, I mean, and you you saw that with um, I think was it more so World War, World War One or World War Two? Where well, World War One was about resource because Germany was getting strangled because of what happened um, to them in in a previous conflict in Europe, and so they felt resentful and they felt like they were really being pushed down. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happened in World War Two because because of what happened at the end of World War One, the way Germany was kind of put down. By, right. by the rest of Europe, it put them in a position where they were very resentful, mm-hmm. and it just came back. <laughs> the 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 war produced for people. Yeah, I, I mean that was, was Hitler's. Was... Yeah, that was Hitler's whole thing, and even World War One was. was yeah, well, I mean, you saw that in America too. You just had a lot more. There's just, um, you know the the. The necessities of what it would take for these soldiers to be in war. So well, they needed... built built their industry. You know, like mm-hmm. Germany built like Mercedes and BMW and Porsche yeah. were building the tanks and the planes in Germany. Yeah. And then our companies that were military companies in World War Two became like our auto industry. You know, a, a heavier auto industry and heavier, you know, like aerospace industries and stuff uh, came from that. Um, so the whole idea of the jet age, you know, comes from World War II, um, the, mm-hmm. the, the, you end up getting the commercial planes start being built at a level that would never got built if World War II didn't happen. Um, mm-hmm. so there's some things, you know, the war was terrible, but, but it does create economic structures and that's what tends to happen. Yeah. It's not, on yeah. the backs of a lot of soldiers, <laughs> the backs <laughs> of a lot of innocent people. Yeah, no, it's, it's. It's kind of terrible to think that that they that our our government would start a war just to boost the economy, but I feel like that's that's a, that's such a common thing. It's, it's well, you know, the first Iraq and second Iraq wars were kind of that's gone. kind of what that was, yeah. That's kind, of, <laughs> that's kind of what that was, but that's why it's so devastating to know that that's that's the that's the kind of the default, uh, you know, resolution for for economic crisis. Yeah, it's like the wag the dog too. Because when a president gets in trouble, you know, they might attack Iran just because he's having trouble at home. Mm-hmm. Then he does that to make the boogeyman. Yeah, you know, not the Iranians have done certain things, but I don't think it's justified in a big war. It is nothing justified to do such a big mm-hmm. thing. Everything could be done diplomatically, so it doesn't need to be at that level. But we got some people that want itching to do another Middle Eastern war in Iran. Which is not a good idea, um, but you know we've done two of them already, so <laughs> it might be going that way. Um, God, yeah, it's it's just a terrible time. 
Yeah, I mean, all you can do as an artist, you try to express yourself, make statements about it, you know, yes, I do as an artist. Music. Yeah, I mean, okay, so that kind of brings me to my next question. It's not related, but I, I, I've kind of been going back and forth on whether I should answer this. Um, are you single? Oh, <laughs> personal question. I, yeah, and again, I, I feel like I've hit the note so many times on how private I am with, with my life. Um, but I guess, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm, um, I am single because I choose to be. Mm-hmm. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> I guess. Well, you, you know, you never, I was single for a long time. I never found somebody until I, you know, I found them. And it's like, it's like that's everybody's choice, you know, to mm-hmm. do what they're going to do. And, uh, you know, people shouldn't, especially today with all the things that people have careers, they have things they want to do. And in the structure of like, you know, Nazi and Harriet type of life, whatever. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I mean, you I, don't have to have that. You know, no, to, to no. Be successful. I don't, yeah, I don't really. The thing is, like, if it happens, it happens. It, it would be nice. I do. It's not like I don't want like, a companion or a partner. It's just right now I've decided through through a lot, of, you know, thinking about what it is I want at this point in time. I've decided that that's not a priority. Um, and, you know, it happens, but it's not something that I'm actively seeking. And Yeah, well, sometimes that just happens, you know. That, just, and I think that's how it should be. And Yeah. Uh, but also, I've had to learn to just be like, yeah, no, I don't need to accept this just because it's in my face, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people approach me and i i really i've just i just shut it down really quick i just really shut it down well you'll know <laughs> when, when you don't want to shut it down because this mm-hmm. is just you know when you find that person that clicks it just it's it's, it's clear to you it will be so clear to it you is, yeah. so I, you just don't stress about it just do what you're gonna do and doing what you do Mm-hmm. You will get to where you need to be. That's the way I feel. Yeah, that's and that's that's a the mindset that I've kind of been on lately is just like not to put so much pressure on that part of life because it'll just yeah, it, it just happens. It just it happens. happens. Yeah, I stressed when I was in my twenties. I stressed real bad about that. Then yeah, it's hard not to stress about it though. It's really hard not to. I but mean, then I like you know I let it go. Uh, I just let it go, and uh, and when I let it go. I wasn't looking for it and it came. So it's like, so it's a matter of, um, because I'm married, but um, Uh yeah. So it's just like, I was very like in this mode in my early 20s where I was like, oh, I gotta gotta find somebody, I gotta find somebody. And just eventually I just like, you know what? I'm just gonna forget about it. And when I finally let it go, then it happened. So something that's like a big lesson, you know, when you leave, let something go that you really want, it will come to you, you know? Yeah, that's, I've, I've been watching, uh, and I know a lot of people are going to be really upset at this who are actual Star Wars fans, but <laughs> I, I watch, I, my favorite of the three that were terrible, and I'm referring to the prequels, the third yeah, one, yeah, they that good. Revenge of the <laughs> Sith, there's a line that Yoda says, and he says, um, you have to train yourself to let go of what you fear to lose. 
Oh, that's awesome. That was a good line. That's a great line. It sucks that it's in the shitty movies, but it's a great yeah. line. It's a good line. They should have saved it for a better movie. They should have saved it for a I mean, there's so many good things about those movies that are just glossed over because of the terrible choices that George decided to make. Yeah, um, I don't know where his thinking was. You know, he did two good movies, and then he screwed up a bunch of them. The, but, the, uh, the, 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 the third movie had a really... Well, actually, the first... The, the the episode one, episode two, and episode three all had great soundtracks. Like the music was great. The movies themselves were not great. Um, mm-hmm. And then I look at the movies now; they're much better in terms of like the story and the acting and everything. But the music isn't there, so I'm kind of and John yeah, Williams, the, the, the John John Williams isn't which doing so it good. But, yeah, and that's why I'm just like, oh, that sucks because the music is like one of the most integral parts of those films. Yeah, I remember um, in the 76, 77, I saw the first one and it was like uh it was like a total life changing thing. Yeah. As, oh, as yeah. a sci fi kid, you know, like Star Trek, mm-hmm. seeing that was like a revelation. Oh yeah, I love Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars is my that's my home. I love Star Wars. I wasn't yeah. so much of a Trekkie. My my mom and my dad are more Trekkies, but they were also Star Wars fans, which is how we got to be Star Wars fans, my brother and I. And yeah. uh, so I, but I like Star Wars will always have, that's one of the roles I would love to play. I would love to be a Sith Lord. Um, but I know that the newer movies are kind of phasing out the Sith. Yeah. I don't know why they're doing that. I like that character. Uh, I like yeah. I mean, I guess they still have the good and evil component, but it's just not going to be expressed in terms of.